Um, please turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. That's where we're going to be today. And we are uh, starting a series connected to our journey of faith, which for those who are new or visiting with us is our annual capital campaign that challenges each of us it calls North Wake home to give above and beyond what we normally give um, to pay down the mortgage of this building, but also to fuel our mission. And um, today, we are going to be talking about money, so we probably should pray before we get started for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are everything to us. You are the giver of all good things. You are our sustainer and our provider. You lavish grace upon us. You outgive us every single moment of our life. So God, today would you shape us in that mold and would you make us thankful, bountiful, willing, eager, generous givers. Because you have given so bountiful and willful and eagerly to us. Today is the day that you have made. May we rejoice and be glad in it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you will, read along with me. I'm going to try to read off this little screen you read in there on the screen with me. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountiful Bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Many of you have embarked on a long journey at some time in your life, some trip to some destination, some foreign land, and as you prepared for it, a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement, building in your heart and in your mind as you think about what is to come. And throughout the preparation, if you're anything like... uh, most of us, you're going to write a list so you don't forget something. So there are many lists to be made. And as you pack each little thing into your suitcase, you're reminded of what lies ahead. 
what you're preparing for. And it just continues to build with each page of that travel guide you read about this foreign land, this destination you're headed to. However, often in journeys, when you leave the comfort of your home and the security there, and you launch out into the world, hardships of the journey come about. Things like missed flights, lack of sleep, a different language, culture, smells, sounds. The surroundings can leave you Days confused, less than joyful, and less than excited. Not that I have any, any experience in that at whatsoever. However, some of you are feeling the same way right now. Because we have been on a journey as a church for somewhat, well, for a long time. Nine years to be exact, but nobody's counting. Um, when we started this, this journey, most of you weren't even here. Matter of fact, a great number of you were not here. There were bazillion meetings in that little building over there about what in the world we were going to do. And every possible or impossible idea was talked about. But here's the thing. It was a great time. It was an exciting time. It was a time to think about what God might do if we would sacrifice and be generous. And here you are. You see, along the way, we've lost a lot of members that started with us. Some never joined us. Others just were unable to finish. Yet along the way, God continues to bring reinforcements to that vision. And he has been faithful and gracious and generous to us. And he continues to lavish that on us. Journeys like this one always carry with them just the intimate danger of getting lost. And forgetting the joy and the excitement that was ours when we started this journey. So when I was thinking about this, I was reminded about a story. And I was reminded about what happens when you actually get lost. You see, when I was a backpacking guide in Western North Carolina, we used to have this graduation process for the people who had gone through uh, and been with us and trained with us to become guides the following summer. So myself and the other guy that was directing this ministry would take this group of people, usually about six or eight people. They're usually senior high, uh, seniors in high school or freshmen in college, about the age range. And we would instruct them and we would turn them loose. They would lead, we would just be kind of ghost, ghosting them in the shadows trying to keep them from falling off the edge of the mountain. That was basically just keep them alive. That was basically as far as we would go, but we wouldn't say anything else. And so what we did was we took a group and we 
went down into the middle prong wilderness, which is mostly a valley in between two huge ridges. You can't tell where you're going. See, on top of a ball top mountain, it's pretty easy to figure out where you're headed because you can see forever. You get down in the valley and you can't see much further than 10, 15 feet in front of you and things get a little dicier. So along that journey, we're walking and walking and walking. And we started out full of joy and excitement and fun. It was going to be, you know, when you pull out the gear and you're pulling out like st- little burners and stoves and tents and, and you're packing it off, that musty, sm- I can smell it right now. When I pull that big Rubbermaid tub out and pop it open, I'm like, I just, till to this day, I don't get to go much, but I outfit a lot of people because they come over and borrow stuff. So, but when, as soon as I open it up, I'm like, oh, I just want to, oh. Here, you can take this, but please bring it back in one piece. It's a beautiful thing. And the joy and the excitement of stuffing stuff into a backpack and throwing it on your back and you're ready to roll. It's beautiful. And so we're headed down this trail. And then the trail ends. And we're bumping on rocks and walking on. And before long, there's not even any level ground to walk on. And the joy and the excitement is fading fairly quickly. And I'm whispering to my buddy, hey, should we step in? No, no, they'll get it. They'll get us turned around. Two, three days later, after sleeping on the side of a mountain, which was so steep that I had to tie a rope around my arms out the door of my tent to a tree so I wouldn't slide down through the bottom of my tent. Uh, Jeff was not a happy camper. So finally, in a bold leadership move, I took control. I said, we're getting out of here. Okay, we'll talk about this later, but I want to get to my car. So we went up the side of a mountain for two days. I would go up, blaze a trail, come back, get the group, take them up to the next point, drop my backpack, go up again, come back, go up back up back till we got to the top and when we broke through the bushes and there was actually a trail on top of the ridge I face plant straight into the dirt kissing the dirt thanking Jesus because now I have a direct line to my car we were out it was a beautiful thing so when we got to the car I had a little debriefing session and figure out where we went wrong and how we might not do that with 10 young people next summer. Um, <laughs> imagine parents after that. So we want to make sure we don't get lost. So we started to talk and I said, do you remember what we did last week? Do you remember sitting in a room with a big dry erase board and me telling you, here are the three basic ways you don't get lost. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened? And as I reflected on that, I thought, you know what? Those three basic tips would be great for us on our journey of faith so that we don't get lost or if we are lost to reorient ourselves back on the path. So here's the three 
tricks of not getting lost. So if you find yourself in the wilderness, this will be helpful. If you find yourself on a journey of faith in the church, this will be helpful, okay? Number one, be alert and know your surroundings. Be intentional, know what's going on. Don't walk with your head down like this for hours. Not good, okay? So what's going on at North Wake? What's going on in our journey of faith? What are the surroundings that you find yourself in here? Do you even know why we decided to start a capital campaign in the first place or this journey of faith? See, when we decided to build a new worship center, it was not for us. This thing seats 600 people. There weren't 600 people in the church. There was an idea. There was a vision. And that was that we had, we had grown to love the taste of Christ that we had experienced in this community of faith. And we wanted our neighbors to experience the same. We wanted them to drink deeply of the fountain that we were drinking deeply of. And so that spurred us on. That's why underneath the carpet, there are names written in markers and there were tears spilt on the concrete we would leave building two and after the worship service, we would come over here while there was just steel girders and concrete and we would plant our face on the concrete and write names of neighbors and friends and lost relatives that we hoped would fill the seats where you sit today. And many of you are the beneficiaries of those prayers and those tears and those gracious sacrificial gifts. And some of you incredibly actually sit close to where your name is on the concrete. Unbelievable. You see, when we started this whole thing, it was much more to us than bricks and mortar. And it still is. It's an expression of our values and what we believe to be true. You see, we prayerfully and courageously started down this path in order to facilitate a movement that went far beyond these walls. Far beyond the number of seats that are in here in the first service and the second service. We wanted to facilitate a movement that took the gospel across the street and around the world. So the first thing is, know your surroundings. Know what we're to be doing. Know the landscape that you find yourself in right now. The second is keep track of your direction. Understand the direction you're moving in and orient that to where you've been. So over the past nine years, let me tell you a little bit about where we've been and where we are. The direction we've been moving. Over the past nine years, our initial debt for Journey of Faith was 2.9 million, and we've reduced that to just over a million. Now that's amazing. When 50% of our congregation is connected somehow to the seminary, which means you don't make much money. And secondly, there, we don't have a lot of people with a lot of money. Basically, this is getting paid off by just the faithful few throwing their copper coins in week 
after week after week, month after month after month, and year after year after year is a beautiful expression. But listen to this. Not only is that mortgage getting paid down, listen to this. Over the past nine years, we have also seen God use our church as a launching pad for his mission by enabling us to baptize over 100 people, start over 100 small, new small groups, send over three, I mean, 30 missionary units around the world, countless numbers of short-term mission, missionaries. We've planted two churches. This coming year, we will plant two more. We've trained over 60 pastoral interns, placed dozens of pastors in other congregations, started a Hope Counseling Center who's provided free counseling for, to hundreds of hurting people in our community. We have been able to serve the poor faithfully year after year after year, and God has graciously answered our prayers, and he has extended Northwake's gospel influence around the globe. When you think about it, there are over 60 people around the globe right now, overseas, worshiping and, and spreading the gospel who came from these seats right here. And that's not including the kids. That makes the, in an army. Because each one of them has like 10. So, listen, we should be excited to see what God is doing in our midst. He is doing amazing things. He has done far beyond anything any of us could have imagined sitting in building two, talking in those meetings and going, what are we going to build? That's, it's amazing. Third, so know your surroundings. Take view of the direction you're headed and past you've been. Learn to use a compass and a map. Listen, technology dies. That was perfect, guys, by the way. <laughs> Do you see that? Soon as a, a GPS is great till the batteries die. Guess what happens with a compass and a map? It never dies. It never dies. It's always there, constant. Even wet, you can, you can go swimming with your compass and your map, and though the map won't be in great shape, it won't die. I have swam with the GPS, it doesn't work. <laughs> On accident. So those kinds of things, we have to understand. Your compass and your map, what are they? When you're traveling on a long journey, do you want to just go on feeling? Your feelings can lead you to death. They are not trustworthy. Those folks leading that group that week... They felt confident in what they were doing. And they got us extremely lost. You see, we need a point of reference. We need an objective point of reference, something that is unchanging, something that can direct us. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, Jesus is that reference. He is the author and perfecter of your faith and you should fix your eyes on him. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the power 
that holds everything together. He is your true north and he will guide you and he will direct you whether you feel it or not. And guess what? He's left us with a map. He's given us a directive. He's shown us the way to go. Matthew 28, 16 through 20 is more than something to memorize in a vacation Bible school. As you go, as you're on your journey, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded and lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. Go and make disciples of all nations as you go. As you go on your journey. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. Equip them. So you have to stay focused on the mission. Okay, the mission map given to us. That is our mission. Stay focused on the one who gave you that. He is our compass. See, but there's one big point here. And as I evaluated these things with this group of people in the parking lot, I got to this point. I said, do you remember the last words I told you? And they said, obviously not. The last words I told you is use these principles long before you're lost. Use these things before you get lost. At the trailhead, at the trailhead when you begin, intermediate points throughout the journey, you need to be reoriented. You need to know where you are, where you're going. And what's going to take you there? Which brings us to our passage today. That is exactly what Paul is doing with the church at Corinth. You see, they've already said they're going to give to the offering he's taking up. He's taking up an offering for the saints in Jerusalem to care for their needs. And, what, and they were under a lot of affliction and they needed help. And he's already told them, they've already said, yes, we're in. And he's writing this letter ahead of him coming and he's saying, don't forget what you've committed to and be ready because when I come, I'm going to collect the offering. And that's where he says, look, I'm going to talk to you today. This is the point. Know your surroundings. Know what direction you're headed. Refer to the map and compass. That's what he's doing. And so when he gets to verse 6 and 7, he says, this is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God is, loves a cheerful giver. Generous Excuse me. The landscape is sowing. And Paul is contrasting the difference between sowing generously 
and sowing sparingly. That's the landscape. And he makes no bones about it. Generous and bountiful giving will produce bountiful outcomes and harvests. This has been proven true here at North Wake over the last 10 years. Who would have thought that such a great movement of God would leave a little small church on South Main Street in Wake Forest and infect people around the world? I'll be honest with you. I was very short-sighted. All I was thinking about was bricks and mortar and what the building was going to be about. Thankfully, God had a much bigger plan. What would happen if we just prayed and continued to walk courageously in the way that we're going? What might God do five, ten years down the road? Have you ever thought about that? What might happen? What might happen if we just stayed the course? I have no idea. But it's fun to dream. And it's fun to think about. If God so richly blessed us in these nine years, what might happen in the next ten? I don't know. But I'm eager to find out. Very eager. You see, the direction... That, the, that Paul was trying to remind the Corinthians in the direction that we're on is spreading the gospel across the street and around the world. That's bigger than any individual. It's bigger than any family or even any local church. And that's why Paul moves from, in verse six from whosoever sows to what? In verse seven, each one must give. Hmm. And I like Paul to draw the net on you. Okay, we're gonna broad we're gonna broad stroke one and then we're gonna say, and then each one should give. Why is that? Because the vision and the direction of the gospel being spread across the world is way too big for the Doyle family. It's way too big for even all of us in this room. We need God and we need everyone involved. If we are going to continue this process over the next few years, we need everyone on board. And this is the big deal. We need every person in the family on board. We can't do it on the backs of the few. You see, right now, at this time in our life at North Wake, there are more members at North Wake than there ever has been. And three times as many as there were when we started this thing. Yet there's still a very small percentage of people that are carrying the load. Let's do something about that. I'm not talking about equal gifts. I can't give as much as some people. Some people can't give as much as I can. But I am talking equal participation. We need everyone pulling. And I know right now what's running through your head. There are a million reasons why you can't. I know because I got them. Okay? When I, be honest, this week I'm, I'm praying and I'm thinking, gosh, I'm, 
I got this, I got that, I got three grown kids that seem to wear out tennis shoes every, by the day. What's, there's a million reasons why I can't. Look what Paul did in 2 Corinthians 8. He says this. We want you to know, because he's already anticipating the reasons why, okay? So in chapter 8, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints what nobody has more reasons not to give than the macedonian church they're persecuted for one under huge affliction okay and then what wells up joy so i'm afflicted but i'm joyful i'm Poverty-stricken, but I'm generous. I read that this week, and I'm just like, yeah, okay. I'm neither joyful, nor is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just beat me down. These people knew suffering, but they knew something greater. And that's what Paul turns to. He uses this illustration and he says, look at the Macedonians. Look at them. You know, Paul had the Macedonians. I have you. You're interested in how this is going to turn out, aren't you? Huh? I got your... Paul had the Macedonians. I have you. You're my example. It's a good example. So you're in good hands. Listen to me. Over the last 10 years, you have been amazing. Absolutely amazing. Everywhere I go, everyone I get to talk to, I get to just lavish praise on our congregation for how sacrificially generous they are and have been, and it is just part of the DNA at Northwake. Listen to this. God's love flows in you and through you, Northwake, every year when you make a sport out of being generous at the missions auction. Listen, I've never seen anybody do competitive generosity. That's a beautiful thing. I was skeptic. I was skeptic. But it's fun. Who wouldn't want... We get in here and we just have fun and thousands of dollars are raised every year above and beyond our... our our budget and all of the other things, just pure generosity and sport, I guess, or competition. I don't know. How much? Who could ever think up? This is beautiful. I got to compete with Dr. Lederbach to buy Larry's vest, his sweater vest. Okay, somebody's, somebody's bidding in the back, I'm bidding in the front, and it's all going to missions. So it's beautiful. It doesn't matter how much this vest costs. I'm loving it. And we're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I finally turn around, I see Mark standing in the doorway back there just going. He was trying to get me, he was trying to move it up on me. Um, thankfully, he won. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. What, how beautiful. 
Your hearts are beautiful. When I see people pay way too much for the contents of a basket, like quadruple what it's really worth, what's in that basket, and then take the basket and on that way out, give it to somebody else. Mm. It's good. God's love flows through you in small groups when you eagerly take up an offering for the needs of the people in that group. And it happens every year, multiple times a year. When there's a need and there's a call that goes out and there's a willow white envelope that goes around the room and there's a wad of cash in it and they hand it to somebody and they say, let's pray. We're with you, brother and sister. We're with you. Unbelievable. God's love flows in and through you when a person anonymously tapes a gift card to the window of a car of somebody who's in need or walks down someone's driveway, gives them a signed blank check and says, go pay, go get enough groceries to feed your family for a month. God's love flows in and through you when you joyfully press hard-earned cash into the palm of someone who's in need as you pass them in the lobby of this worship center. God's love flows in and through you when you sacrificially give thousands of dollars to, care, to the care team ministry because your pastor says that we've given all the budgeted money away and there's still a need. God's love flows in and through you when you give to Journey of Faith in, year in, year out at the tune of 1.8 million, 9 million, I don't know, 1.9 million in order to provide a place for people to assemble and worship and be sent out to take the gospels to the ends of the earth. God loves flows through you when we get together and we set out to pay for a translation of a few books of the Bible for the Kurds um, because they're those who have never heard in their native tongue. And what ends up? You give enough to translate the entire New Testament just because God tells you to sow bountifully. Unbelievable. You, North Wake, are a people marked by grand and cheerful generosity, and God loves it. It's beautiful. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because the heart that is bountiful and willing and eager and joyfully generous is a heart that looks like his reluctance and compulsion are never, not the character of a loving and gracious and generous God so here's the point at which we have to stop you see this is a great point to reorient yourself before you get lost in a world that screams at you daily the exact opposite. It's time to look at the compass and look at the map and reorient yourself before you walk a different direction. You see, there's a reason why you don't have to keep a death grip on your retirement plan or your rainy day fund. Verse 8 Paul says, it's because God is able 
to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You see, God is able. He's able. Do you really think that your rainy day fund is sufficient? When is it? When is it? The rains are going to come, and the floods are going to come, and they're going to wash things away. And those things built on sand, gone. Those things built on rock will last. He is able. He is able to make all grace abound, providing sufficiently for all things at all times, even for your rainy day. And he will provide so that, look at the end of this this verse, so that good works will abound. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God does not change. His generosity will not change. Every gift he gives will not change. It is perfect. It is right. It is good. And he is an able provider, and he does not change. Not at all. And this is the beauty of it. Paul is once again understanding his audience and he's saying, and you know how I know that? Do you know how I know that? How does he know that? Because it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. It is written. It's on the map. What in the world is Paul talking about? Let's just think about it for a minute. Let's take this quote from Psalm 112.9 apart. Let's take it apart for a minute. He has distributed freely. How does God sow? Freely. Bountifully. How do we know that? How do we know that? For God so loved the world that he gave. Look, this isn't for football games. Look at me. God so loved the world that he God so loved the world that he not only gave, he gave his only son. That whoever believed in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave. And he gave willingly and graciously and bountifully. And what has been the product of that, a rich harvest, a bountiful harvest. So who does he give to? Who does he give to? He gives to the poor, the needy, 
Were you not needy? Were you not poor? Colossians 2.13 and 14 say this, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcised uncircumcision of the flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross you were bankrupt you had no way of paying the debt that you had you were needy poor wretched without hope and what did God do he poured out the riches of his kindness and grace upon you in the hour of your need and he took your debt and he nailed it to a cross and he paid it in full and how far Does the harvest of his righteousness extend? It extends forever. You are the harvest of his righteousness. And that extends forever. You see, God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. We have been loved His generosity has flown to us. 2 Corinthians 8 again, if I can get it there. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. God's radical loving generosity fuels his radical grace. And when it is known when it has been tasted, when it has been consumed, what should it produce? It should fuel a radical response of gracious generosity. The gospel transforms our simple giving into acts of worship. It's not an act of worship if it has to be pried out of your hand. If I have to bend the thumb to get something out of your hand, you're not gladly giving it. That's not what it's all about. You see, the gospel changes reluctant, sparing, comfortable sowing into eager, bountiful, sacrificial sowing Simple giving becomes a lifestyle of radical generosity. The light of the good news that God loved the world and that he gave transforms how we should live.
and I got an investment strategy and all other stuff for you. But really, this is the heart of it. It's great to invest in the kingdom. It's the best investment strategy you could ever have. It will pay eternal dividends. And there are a hundred other things I could tell you about that. There's no need to save large amounts of money. Why? Because Jesus holds your future in his hand. Not saying that you shouldn't enjoy certain things or that you shouldn't have a bank account. I'm just saying, should it be as big as it is? And what are you trusting in? You see, if we catch a glimpse of the gospel, we are radically transformed. And in verse 10, he tells us that he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for what? For you? For sowing. He will continue to supply it so that you will sow it and it will reap even more a bountiful harvest. So what does that harvest look like? Because at the end of this passage, he says you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So what does it look like, this righteous harvest that God promises us if we will sow like that. He says in verse 11 that you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. Not so your bank account can grow, but because so you can sow more. In verse 12, he says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Have you ever been a part of God using you as a tool to take care of the needs of others? Do you know what kind of joy that brings? Have you ever even tasted of it? Look, the beautiful thing about my job is I get to be delivery boy, so I get to see it a lot. But it doesn't, and that's great. But there's a joy when my family sacrifices something to provide for somebody else that is just unbelievably good. Unbelievably exciting. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced the joy of giving away the gift of the gospel? Not only taking care of the needs of somebody, but being able to sit down with them and say, hey, this is the reason why we're able to care for you. This is why we're generous. Because, what? God so loved the world that he gave. That's your bridge. Be generous, take care of the needs of others, and bring the gospel to bear upon the conversation. It's very easy. I'm not generous by nature. I'm a hoarder by nature. All you gotta do is go to my garage. Simply put, you can barely walk through it. It's a sad, sad state. And I'm working on giving things away. But I might need that someday. Whatever. I 
want to encourage you to taste of the joy that is, will be yours when, you, when God uses you to take care of the needs of other people. And then, lastly, thanksgiving will abound where it didn't abound before. Many thanksgivings to God, he says at the end of 12, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and generosity of your contributions for them and for all others. So out of their submission and their confession of the gospel, they are giving generously. And what happens? God is glorified. Not the Macedonians, not the Corinthians, God. Why? Because he is the giver of all good things. God gets the glory when his people give generously. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because God is the giver and the giver always gets the glory. And the people who so most bountifully display most vividly that their God is an inexhaustible giver. That his word is true. That he will give seed to the sower. So you don't have any fear anymore. So bountifully, the God of all creation has told you he will supply. So that you can be even more generous. It's an unbelievable thing to wrestle with. And then he ends the whole passage in verse 15. What is this inexpressible gift? This inexpressible gift is what we have already talked about. It is Christ, God giving his only son. You see, love drives generosity. Where there's no generosity, there is no love. If I use up all of my resources on me, I don't love you. And I sure don't love the giver of all good things. So I think Christ knew that. I think one of the things that he pointed us toward was always remembering the gospel so that we would not get lost along the way. You see, the church has experienced the love of the Father through the sacrifice of the Son, and that type of love demands a response. One of supreme thankfulness, praise, and generosity. You can't look at the cross long and stay prideful. You can't look at the cross long and want to spend every dime that you've been given on you. Because you've been given something that money cannot buy. And that cannot be taken away from you. And I believe that is why Jesus left a place at the table to reorient us along the way. 
so that we would understand what our surroundings really are and what direction we're really moving and to give us a map and a compass to reorient us. You see, on the last day, last evening of his life, he took a bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And he took a cup and after he blessed it, he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant spilt for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. And every time you approach this table, and every time you take of the bread and you drink of the wine, remember, reorient your life to the gospel. The fact that you were dead in your sin and your trespasses, but Jesus gladly gave his life for you so that you could be freed from your sin, so that you could be restored back to a relationship with the Father. He paid your debt. He canceled out all of it. So today as we approach the table, my prayer is that you would examine your heart and you would look for ways that you may be a little bit off the beaten path. And how might the gospel bring you back so that we can continue to be a body of Christ that is generous, that loves one another, and that loves the world in which we live in. So much so that we would sacrifice just like Christ sacrificed for us. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you please be gracious to us? Would you illuminate the areas of our hearts where we have gone astray? And will you bring us back? Will you bring us back to the truths of the gospel that transform us from one degree of glory to the next? It is our sight of you that transforms our heart and makes us more like you. So as we sit at your table, will you break our hearts once again and put them back together? By your grace, for your fame, we pray. Amen.